On this live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, we're going to be discussing Mikel Arteta's comments on Martin Odegaard, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and the visit of Manchester United as well as much more. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. Apologies, I'm a couple of minutes. I'm only three minutes late. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. Um, <laughs> but apologies to those of you in the chat that were already uh, already waiting. Uh, unfortunately, um, I went to reset my router before we did this and I didn't leave myself basically enough time uh, for it to reboot back up and so I was waiting for my internet to come back so that we could jump onto this live stream but we're here now and uh, looking forward to chatting to all you guys looking forward to some interaction in the comments section big hello to everybody uh, who's already in there uh, lots of you talking about the same old Arsenal's incredible show last night full credit to Dan Potts on that one he, he went out he got hold of uh, all the your favorite Arsenal podcasters put them all in one place and had a two and a half hour marathon of a show uh, so if you haven't checked that out already make sure you do it's definitely worth a watch definitely worth a catch up uh, some very recognizable faces on there and some very recognizable voices as well so make sure you check that out if you haven't already um Right, I want to kick off by talking about uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang because obviously uh, in the last 24 hours or since we've done our last podcast, it's been revealed why Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been absent. Um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about the reasons behind his absence. And as I kept saying to you guys on this show, I didn't want to speculate about it because the fact that it was described as a personal family issue for me, means it's the kind of thing that we shouldn't really speculate on. We shouldn't really discuss um, what it could or, or couldn't be unless we get clarification. You know, if, if the player wanted it out in the public domain at that point, it would have been out in the public domain. It's as simple as that. It was kept under wraps. And when you look at the reason why Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was absent now, you can understand why he needed some time away, some time to focus on his family and some time to, you know, just get away from football. You know, sometimes as football fans, we forget that there are far more important things in life than this game. Um, I know sometimes it feels like life or death, but it really, really isn't. And sometimes situations like this uh, put that into perspective. You know, situations like the current pandemic that we're living through, that puts it into perspective as well. Um, so I just want to say shame on those who were going around social media, writing articles, publishing things, claiming that. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was going through a divorce, that he had been caught cheating on his wife. I mean, you know, whatever Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang does in his private life is, is, is completely up to him. I'm not condoning that or in any way, shape or form. But, you know, I think kind of when, when you're, if you do something like that, you're kind of asking for it. You're kind of asking for the scandal. You're asking for the outrage. You're asking uh, for the trouble. Um, there were talks about 
people saying that someone close to him had, had committed suicide. Uh, there was rumors about his wife catching him cheating and, and, and so much crap was basically being written, was being said. And as I kept saying on this show, when it comes to family matters, we shouldn't speculate. You know, we should just wait patiently like we did, like most of us did. Uh, and um, in time, things will be revealed. And, and when that person is good and ready to come out and explain what exactly went on, then, you know, that that will, will happen. And, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang did that yesterday afternoon. He said, hey, guys, thank you so much for all the messages and calls over the last few days. My mother is going through some health issues and I had to be there for her. She's already much better now and I will be back home tonight. I'm more than grateful to the doctors and nurses helping her get through this. And of course, thank you to my Arsenal family uh, for the love yesterday. I'm more determined than ever to keep our momentum going. Thank you all again. I really am beyond blessed to receive this level of support and love from all of you. And I can't wait to be back. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang clarifying the situation, putting all the, the nonsense rumours to bed. And I'm... I'm I'm glad he did it in the end because some of those reports, as pointed out by by Ashton in the chat, were disgusting. They were. Um, and I just think in life in general, you know, there is no need um, to, to always speculate about people's private business. You know, when it is private for a reason, if they want you to know, you will know all in good time. But it's just, you know, there's... Um, there's this culture nowadays where we kind of jump on every story and we try and sensationalize it. And we try sometimes think of the most, uh, you know, the most outrageous uh, speculation breathing story that we can possibly come up with in our heads. And, and, and people uh, on the other side of it are also silly for going along with it, really. You know, as as we said on this thing. We had it in the comments lots of times. We had questions about where Aubameyang was, what was going on there. And not once did we make up a stupid story. Um, did we even get involved in the dumb uh, kind of talk around it? Dave Atkinson says, as bad as it is, it's human nature to speculate. Yeah, humans humans will speculate. Um, they will. But I think there's speculation. They're saying, you know, it could be this or it could be that or... You know, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. And then there's just making up complete lies out of nowhere, um, you know, to just kind of get a little bit of traction on social media. I'm not saying anybody in this chat's done that or or anything like that. But there are a lot of Twitter accounts that they post things because they're looking for the traction. Um, you know, it's, it's like those. Do you remember the other day? There was a picture of uh, of Willian going around with the number 10 shirt on his back. Clearly a fake article. You could see it at first glance. You could see at first glance that it was fake. Um, the picture didn't look right. The, the font of the text didn't look right. It wasn't consistent with Arsenal's website. It was just abundantly clear that that was, that was bullshit. And, and the amount of likes and retweets a post like that got was, was nuts um, because... You know, th that just goes to show and goes to prove that there are enough people out there that will believe anything. Um, and so that's why these accounts do it. That's why these so-called journalists do it. That's why YouTube channels do it. That's why podcasts do it, because they see it as a way of potentially gaining traction. But actually, it's morally wrong. And, and it's just a waste of everybody's time because ultimately nothing good comes of it. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has clarified the situation. It took a few days to do that. And 
based on on the nature of what's going on the fact that his mother's unwell then i think actually um you know he's well within his rights to do that well within his rights to keep that quiet and as out and out gunners podcast uh points out it was kept in house so well you know well done to the club and the players because there was no leak um which is which is uh you know good to see and uh, perhaps that's changed since uh a certain somebody and his representatives were distanced from the club. Who knows? Uh, Gunatel says he needs to take all the time he needs. Lost my mum 14 months ago. So he should spend all the time he has to nurse her back to good health. Nothing more important than family, Harry, you're spot on. Um, sorry for your loss, mate. Uh, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, sorry to hear um, of your loss. And you're absolutely right that there is nothing more important than family. Uh, so if you were getting onto Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for being absent, if you were one of the people uh, speculating, about what may or may not have happened, about whether uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's reasons for being absent were were good enough. I think you're going to have to eat your words a little bit now, and I think you're going to have to eat a bit of humble pie. Uh, right, let's uh, let's go on to discuss Mikel Arteta's uh, latest press conference. Of course, he faced uh, the media today uh, ahead of Arsenal's uh, Premier League clash with Manchester United coming up uh, on Sunday. Saturday, I should say, Saturday, 5.30, big, big game. We're only going to kind of touch on some of the um, the key points from it. There's quite a few uh, bits in there that I don't think, well, I didn't find that interesting anyway. Uh, so we'll kind of run through it and pick up the, the most important points from it. Um, let's, let, let's begin uh, by discussing his, um, his comments on the idea of, of, kind of looking at the table and, and trying to set the top four as a target. Um, he said, we're keeping the momentum going, the run going, being very humble and understanding that there are a lot of ways in which we need to improve. There is so much we have to do to catch up with many other teams still and go game by game. So let's see where we get. So Mikel Arteta refusing essentially to be drawn into any talk of, of achieving a top four finish. Um, it still feels a little bit early, um, you know, for... You know, it, it still feels a little bit early to say that the top four is on, um, you know, but it is a possibility. It is mathematically possible. And because it's mathematically possible, you have to be aiming for it. And I, and I said that, didn't I? After we lost to Southampton in the cup, there were people outraged. They couldn't believe that Mikel Arteta had, you know, essentially prioritised the Premier League game over the FA Cup. That's what it seemed like. And it's actually come to light since that he didn't really have a great deal of choice, did he? Given the the fitness issues suffered by so many of our players of late and the fact that, you know, Emil Smith-Rowe uh, wasn't really available. Kieran Tierney was definitely not available. Emil Smith-Rowe went into the game in the Premier League just days after very much uh, with the club knowing that he, he couldn't probably play the whole 90 minutes. Thomas Partey broke down as well. So, you know, I think he was justified in making that call. Um, you know, uh, but he, he's right, I think, as a manager to play it down. He's right to not um, outline his objectives clearly in the public domain, because if he does that and then fails to achieve them, of course, that brings added and more pressure. Um, you know, but make no mistake about it. Mikel Arteta will be looking at this. He'll be looking at the Premier League table, the way it stands at the moment, um, you know, and we'll bring up the Premier League table as well. So we can kind of, you know, touch on 
sort of our situation at present. So for those of you watching on YouTube, I'm going to share my screen. For those listening on the audio, don't worry. Uh, we're going to talk you through it. Uh, but, you know, it, it's kind of what it highlights is that whilst Mikel isn't going to, you know, isn't going to be silly enough to be drawn into to committing to a position he feels Arsenal can achieve, what is clear by what he's saying is that they've not ruled out a top four finish. He hasn't said that, has he? He hasn't ruled it out. Arsenal currently in ninth place on 30 points. West Ham are in fourth on the same games as us on 35 points. So as it stands right now, Arsenal are just five points off of the top four. That's by no means unachievable. What I will say is there are a lot of teams um, in and around that position. Liverpool in fifth, uh, Tottenham in sixth. Uh, you know, Everton in seventh, Aston Villa behind us in 18th. Those teams have played less games. Get that. Um, and I understand that that doesn't, you know, tell a full story of, of where Arsenal are in terms of their distance in the top four. But you've got to take encouragement from that. You know, go back to before Christmas, go back to before the Boxing Day game with Chelsea and we were in 15th position. You know, we're seeing results going our way. The results... Uh, last night certainly went our way. We'll take it. As long as Arsenal keep doing their job, there is no reason why the top four is not on, why it's not a possibility for Arsenal. But I like the fact that Mikel Arteta didn't get sucked into committing. He didn't get sucked into saying, yep, the top four is definitely on and we're going to chase it down. Because had he done that, you feel that come the end of the season, had we not achieved that, you know, he probably would have got a little bit more heat. So he's almost taken the pressure off of himself there, Mikel Arteta, in his comments. But reading between the lines, he feels um, that, you know, if he can keep this momentum going, if he can keep the run going, um, given the nature of the Premier League this season, given the fact that there have been uh, so many teams dropping points in and around us, he will no doubt feel Arsenal have a chance of achieving a top four finish. He was asked what he's expecting uh, from uh, Martin Erdegaard. He said, what can he, he was asked, what can he add to this squad? And he said, he's a player that they've followed for some time. We believe he's got some special qualities that we need that we've been missing. Now we have to give him a little bit of time. He hasn't played that many minutes in Madrid, but he's been training hard. He looks so excited as we are to have another big talent in our club. Now that, that comment about him needing time is interesting, isn't it? Because, I think he needs some time. Um, you know, I think I think everybody that comes to another country, comes to another league, needs time to adapt. But we don't have a great deal of time in this situation. Martin Odegaard will return to Real Madrid uh, as, as it stands come the end of the season. So we haven't got a long time for this guy to, to, to embed in, to settle in. I took encouragement from Jonas Yeva's um, comments on our... A Martin Erdegaard special where he said that the player um, being Norwegian will be will be a bit of an Anglophile, uh, won't have a, a major issue adapting to the culture. Um, you know, the fact that he's got Danny Sabayos at the club will probably help him as well. But as is pointed out by Josh Hunter in the comments, we need Martin Erdegaard to hit the ground running for this loan to be successful because... We don't have a great deal of time. You know, this wasn't done at the start of the season. This has been done at the back end of January. Um, so we haven't got a long way to go uh, or, or a long time, I should say, before he'll be leaving. 
So if we're going to get the maximum out of him, if we're going to get the best out of him, if he's going to assist us in achieving our goals this season, then we need him to hit the ground running. Um, That's absolutely right. Now I can be reasonable in that. And being reasonable is me saying a couple of weeks, you know, give him a couple of weeks to settle in with the training, uh, to get to know his teammates a little bit better on the training ground. You know, start him as a sub for the first couple of weeks. I'm, I'm cool with that, you know, providing Emil Smith-Rowe's fit. Uh, but if Emil Smith-Rowe isn't fit, which it looks like he, you know, which is, is something I'm a little bit worried about because it looks like he's not um, 100% in terms of his condition, then Martin Odegaard needs to be thrown in at the deep end and therefore there is no time to settle in. So I'll be understanding for two, three, four weeks, but ultimately he's got to produce something for Arsenal for this deal to have been worthwhile. I think he's got the ability to do it. I think if Arsenal continue playing in the manner they have been uh, in the Premier League in recent weeks, then he can certainly uh, do that and we'd be creating an environment in which he could certainly succeed. But a lot of it is down to him as well. A lot of it is down to his individual performances. As I said, I take encouragement from the fact that I don't think he'll have too many issues uh, with the culture. And I also take encouragement from the fact uh, that he is coming here very much with a point to prove. Uh, He's been cast aside by Real Madrid. He was initially loaned out to Real Sociedad for two years, although Real pulled him back because of um, because of their situation. But the fact that they were willing to loan him out for two years in the first place kind of tells you, doesn't it? that they weren't completely sold on, on on Martin Odegaard and what he could bring to the side straight away. So for me, you know, if I was a young player in his position who earned a mega move to Real Madrid and then kind of Real Madrid kind of showed that actually maybe they were suggesting that they made a bit of a mistake, that it didn't feel um, I was up to standard. If that was me, I'd be desperate, absolutely desperate uh, to go out somewhere else and prove to them that they're wrong. You know, and it it would be a win-win situation for the player. He either goes back to Real Madrid and has a wonderful career at arguably the biggest football club in the world, or he could potentially earn a a permanent move to somewhere where he'll be a little bit more appreciated. So, yeah, um, I expect him to be a substitute at the weekend unless uh, Emil Smith-Rowe is uh, is unavailable. And then... um, that maybe changes things. Uh, he was asked about Matt Ryan. How has Matt Ryan settled in? He says he's re- settled in really quickly. I was really impressed when I talked to him. He's really focused and really engaged with what we want to do. He's a very professional guy and he's coming here to compete with Alex and Burnt. That's the mentality and the desire we want for any player that joins our club. So, of course, um, you know, uh, of course, in... In Matt Ryan's case, you're not going to have as much of a transitional period. You're talking about somebody who's been playing, um, you know, who's been playing in the um, in the in the Premier League. Somebody who understands the English culture. Somebody who, in theory, uh, should need less time to settle in. But what's interesting about Mikel's comments, and I know he's always going to say this, isn't he, to the media? But you know. I think he genuinely feels that Matt Ryan can compete with Bern Leno. And it's really important, you know, to to remember that whilst Bern Leno is a is a fantastic goalkeeper and is is has clearly been Arsenal's number one this season, um having a bit of competition in the background for him it is helpful. And in Matt Ryan, the difference between Matt Ryan and Alex Runarsson is that you're talking about someone who you could 
quite happily chuck in in a Europa League or a cup game and know that you would get a certain level of performance. Will he win you a game like Bern Leno could? Maybe not. But the level of 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 cover between, you know, what was the first and second choice goalkeeper is significantly improved now with Matt Ryan coming in. I, I genuinely believe that. And Mikel was asked if he'd spoken uh, to Tim Cahill, who he's a very good friend of. And of course, Tim Cahill, being a former Australian international, will have played alongside Matt Ryan, will know him uh, pretty well. And he and, and Mikel said, yeah, I did speak to him, obviously, because I like to have information with players, with coaches that have spent time with them. And I got really positive feedback from Tim, as well as other people. When you have reliable sources, you feel much more confident uh, to make any uh, any decision. Um, apparently, Martin Erdegaard was, uh, was compared to Lionel Messi when he was a kid. I'm not even going to entertain that because it's just a nonsensical comment. To say that anyone, let alone a 15-year-old who's proven nothing at the time, is on the level of arguably one of the greatest footballers uh, the world, well, probably in most people's eyes, the greatest footballer the world has ever seen. It just, it baffles me. And I don't know why people try and even make those those uh, comparisons. I feel like in making those comparisons, all you're doing is is adding pressure to someone, um, you know, and, and putting them in a situation where they're now going to be compared against someone who's just incomparable to pretty much everybody, barring, what, five players ever? You know, that, that, that's, the, that's the issue. Um, he was asked a little bit more about Odegaard and, and kind of what impact he can have between now and the end of the season. And Mikel actually opened up a little bit here. He gave us a little bit of uh, information as to what he's seen in um, in uh, in Martin Odegaard that, that persuaded him he was the right man to come in. He said he's a specialist to play in the pockets, to be in the number eight or 10 positions. He can play off the sides as well. And he's a really, really creative player who's really comfortable on the ball in tight spaces. He has the capacity both to create chances and to score goals. Something that he has improved a lot is his work rate without the ball as well. So it's another option to give us more creativity Sorry, in the final third. But it also gives us more options in terms of how we set up against different teams. So Mikel Arteta driving home that point about Martin Erdegaard uh, being much improved in terms of the work rate and uh, the effort that he puts in off of the ball because, um, you know, you feel like that's why Emil Smith-Rowe got a look in and Mesut Ozil didn't because of that side of the game. We know that Ozil had the ability to create chances. We know that some of his skill, some of his, um, you know, body feints, the, just the, the football intelligence was was second to none. And I'd argue that, you you know, you, you're not going to find many players like that to ever have played for Arsenal. You know, he's up there in an elite category, Mesut Ozil. But clearly, Mikel Arteta wants more from his number 10. Clearly, he wants someone who he feels is a little bit more of an all-rounder. And and in those comments about Martin Odegaard, you can you can kind of gauge that that was one of the, the determining factors in him choosing him. Obviously, that and the fact that he was available, um, given the current circumstances, played a big part. But I think that uh, in, in that, that little bit of a statement in that little bit of a, a kind of monologue on, on Martin Odegaard and what he will bring to the side. Uh, Mikel Arteta kind of revealed why, um, revealed what it is that he believes he has that not all the conventional number 10s do, uh, which is that additional bit of work rate and uh, and a bite in the midfield. Um, there was some talk about 
Lucas Torreira. Um, you know, he's on loan at Atletico Madrid. That's not really working. It's not really happening uh, for him at the moment. He's played very uh, limited uh, matches so far, but when Atletico are sitting pretty at the top of La Liga, it's very difficult, isn't it, to argue uh, with Diego Simeone and his decisions. Um, Mikel revealed that that they've been talking. Edu and Lucas have been in discussions. Um, he, he alluded to the fact he hasn't played as minutes as many minutes as we would like, uh, but he did make that point again. You know, the team is doing well, so you wouldn't make that many changes. He said that he wants to uh, be behind Lucas to protect him, to help him make the right decisions for the future. So let's what let's see what happens. But we're monitoring the situation very closely. Um, he was asked if if there was a possibility of the loan being cut short. And he said that he doesn't know, but at the moment he's going to stay at Atletico. That's his belief. And he doesn't know if that's going to change in the next uh, few days. I, look, I can't see it changing. I think to get it done and to get a change made in such a short period of time is, is quite a big ask. Um, so, yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not expecting anything to change with regards to Lucas Torreira's situation between now and the end of the transfer window. But it is a bit of a shame, isn't it? Because the whole point in him going out on loan was to get some game time, was to, um, you know, maybe allow him to dis to rediscover the confidence that kind of saw him burst onto the scene uh, in Italy when he did as a young sort of deep line midfield player. It feels like in in him going out on that loan and then still not playing football, you might have solved some of the cultural issues he was struggling with in London by the fact that he's gone to a Spanish-speaking country and he's got some international teammates there. But have you actually hit the primary target, which would have been to get Lucas Torreira playing football again and to kind of rebuild his confidence? I'd argue you're not. You're not getting that out of Lucas Torreira by having him somewhere where he's not playing football. Um you know, yeah, Atletico could go on to win La Liga and you'll say he's part of a La Liga winning squad, which is always great and handy to have on your CV. But how much is this move actually benefiting Lucas Torreira? It's probably not not in the slightest. Um, let's see uh, what else we've got here. Uh, he spoke about the whereabouts of Emil Smith-Rowe and Thomas Partey with regards uh, to their fitness. He said, I don't know. Let's see how they come today. They have some discomfort in different parts. Thomas and Emil, we'll have to see how they evolve. We still have some days until the game, but not long. So we'll have to see um, how they recover. He was asked a little bit about Manchester United's defeat last night. I don't really want to dwell on that uh, too much. He was also asked uh, about the... Uh, possibility of uh, of further players moving on. Mustafi, Nelson, Chambers and others have all been mentioned as people who could potentially be leaving, uh, whether it be on loan or whether it be because their contracts will be ripped up, essentially. Um, Mikel said, when there are still days left in the market, there is still the possibility for things to happen. We're in close contact with all the things that can happen and we will see. So he didn't really... Um, he didn't really want to uh, to give any more information on that. Um, he was asked a little bit about how does he prevent burnout from some of the young players. Um, and he made the point that it's not just about physical burnout. It's about the mental side as well. To be able to deal with pressure, the expectations and every character is different. So Arsenal need to, um, need to manage that very closely. Um, he was asked about what would happen in the, in the kind of event that Erdegaard did come here really impressed. You know, would you like to extend the loan deal? I think was the question put to him. And he said, he certainly has all the qualities and characteristics that we're looking for, 
for that position, then it will be down to two things. First of all, how well he adapts here, how much of an impact he can have in our team. And second, what Real Madrid and the player think about it, because at the end of the day, he is owned by Real Madrid. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, that, that, that's that. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it is what it is. It's a it's a situation in which Real Madrid obviously have the final say, uh, being the kind of the club that owns the player, and so Arsenal are going to have to just take it as it comes and decide uh, further down the line whether they feel that he is somebody pursuing. You know, given Real Madrid's current financial situation, given the financial state of of a lot of clubs in Europe right now, I think it's impossible to rule out the possibility right now of Martin Odegaard joining the club permanently you know you, you can't rule it out it's certainly there's certainly not a, an option to buy clause in there there's certainly not a guarantee that he will join but I think because of the way the situation is right now I, I don't think you should rule out a permanent move I think it could potentially happen if the terms are, are, are right for everybody um Mikel Arteta was asked about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and and you know, whether he had to go abroad or did he stay in the UK. And Mikel kind of didn't really give an answer. He said he had to support his family and had to be with them. He asked if there will be issues uh, around the quarantine. Obviously, if he did go abroad, um, you know, there will be that kind of element that you have to worry about it as well. And he says, I don't know what will happen. Um, he was asked specifically, having been asked about players potentially leaving, he was asked specifically about Reese Nelson potentially leaving in the coming days. He did say it's a conversation we're having um, with some of the players that are not having a lot of game time, but they want to keep the development going and a decision will be made in the next few days. Uh, so we may well see Reese Nelson go out. And I think that's probably the right thing, actually, um, because he's not getting a look in Reese Nelson, nor do I think he's necessarily good enough either uh, to play week in, week out. So I can understand Mikel's... Um, Mikel's reluctance uh, to do that, Mikel's reluctance to to kind of throw him in sort of all the time. I think actually a lone move away for Reese Nelson would be would be fine. I know a lot of you are disagreeing in the chat. No, Nelson has to stay, get rid of William, keep Reese. Yeah, but it, you know, Reese Nelson is a young up and coming player and he's going to be a lot easier to shift out on loan um, than William is. And, and obviously that plays a part as well. Um, Kevin Campbell, going back to the Martin Odegaard signing, says uh, he's a try before you can... He's a try before you buy. Well, no, try before you can try to buy it. I like that. I like that he added the extra try in. Uh, big hello to you, Kevin, and thank you for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Um, right. That kind of is it from the press conference. Um, there was a couple of other bits and pieces. Um, there was talk about Mustafi again. You know, is is that going to happen? He said there's conversations going on, but we'll see. Didn't really give anything away on that. And I guess the final point that's a little bit worth discussing is the one about Ainsley Maitland-Niles. You know, has Ainsley raised concerns over game time with the Euros coming up? That's what the question that was put to Mikel. And he said, yeah, it's a concern when there's international football as well. Um, after reaching that opportunity, I understand why Ainsley wants more minutes, but what he needs to do is fight, train and tell his teammates and show us that he can be one of our starters. Now, th this bit, you know, I get it. I get that Maitland-Niles needs to prove himself, and in order to, you know, to 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 command a starting position. If you think back to his last performance, that game against Crystal Palace, he certainly didn't do that. He certainly didn't cover himself in glory. Although 
it is worth noting that he hasn't played a great deal of football when he was essentially chucked in after a while. Um, and, you know, you've also got to bear in mind that, yeah, it was a bad game, but he's played other games in that position and not looked anywhere near as bad. So you, you hope it was a one-off. But what I find completely baffling about this whole Ainsley Maitland-Niles situation is if that was the case, where whereby you was not convinced that he would be a starter, you was not convinced um, that he had what it took to to really nail down a position in this Arsenal side. Why did we not sell him in the summer when a, a, a fifteen million pound bid from Wolverhampton Wanderers was on the table? You know that money could have proven invaluable, particularly in a season like this. It just completely baffles me. Either Mikel Arteta. Uh, genuinely thought um, that that Ainsley Maitland-Niles had something to offer and and has done a, a kind of complete U-turn on that over the course of the season, you know, or it was just bad business. I I, I really don't know. I can't work it out. I can't work out um, what is going on with the Ainsley Maitland-Niles situation. Look, I agree that he shouldn't be a starter in this team, um, but then when we play like FA Cup games and 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 Europa League games sometimes, and he doesn't always get a look in. You're sitting there thinking, you know, well, what's the point then? You know, you might as well have shipped him out. You might as well have got some cash in. Anyway, we've been through that before. Um, a couple of you kind of talking about him being a, a decent squad player, and, and maybe that's why. Yeah, I guess his versatility helps um, and, and adds to his appeal. But, you know, his versatility was because he could play in the fullback positions. And when we've been without a left back, he got one opportunity recently. Anyway, he fluffed it and he's been binned out straight away um, and replaced by Cedric. So let's see. Um, Sooty FM says uh, Ainsley, Maitland-Niles, Nelson, Willock are just not good enough or consistent enough. Ainsley, Maitland-Niles had a good end to the season. So Arteta maybe saw something, but he's just not improved this season. Yeah. And we've also got to take into consideration Mikel sees him on the training ground every single day. Um, you know, maybe he's not seeing the right attitude being displayed. Uh, maybe he's just not um, not fully bought into the player. In hindsight, that makes the, the decision not to sell him a mistake. But if Mikel thought that was the right one at the time, then what can you do? Uh, it is what it is. Um, let's see what else we've got. Um, Sam says Ainsley Maitland-Niles just hasn't kicked on this season after ending last season. Well, can see why he didn't sell at the time. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Ashton says Willock has got to go. He's not good enough. But it's like, it, compare it to the Martinez situation, right? Where we had other players who play in his position. He made it clear that he wanted game time. A decent offer came onto the table and Arsenal took the offer and Arsenal allowed him to leave, knowing that he would weaken the squad but knowing it was, it would make the player happy. It was best for the player, but it would also, um, it would also free up some funds. And 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 that's why I find it strange. You know, you allowed Martinez to go, who was in a, a very similar situation, whereby he'd shown good signs, um, wasn't going to play regular football, and a, a, a fellow Premier League club came in with a reasonable, reasonable, sorry, amount of money, and we let him go. So it just it baffles me the two kind of varying approaches on those two players uh let's see what else you've got here uh clement um asked the question about injuries do you believe arsenal fc have a bad history of injuries i think we're just unlucky 
um, when it comes to injuries. And I genuinely believe that. It sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but, you know, I mean, obviously part of, of managing injuries is managing players, right? Is managing, um, you know, people's training regimes. It's managing, it's managing people's um, kind of training loads. It, it, there's so many things to it, isn't there? But obviously a big element to it as well is luck. And, and I think Arsenal have been down on their luck. I think we could have probably done more um, to prevent it in years gone by. But, you know, we're, we're talking about physios, doctors, some of the um, top professionals in the game being in and around a football club. So it's hard to um, it's hard to, to pinpoint the exact reason. But, you know, people are right to be concerned about it, I think. Uh, because it does seem to be a very common occurrence. Uh, big thank you to the Blind Guna for your very kind Super Chat donation, mate. Really appreciate it. He says we should have cashed in on him uh, when we had the chance. Uh, really appreciate your donation, mate. Thank you so much. And make sure you head over and check out the Blind Guna's channel as well. Uh, big hello to Fergus from the Guns and Yellow Ribbons podcast. Make sure you check that one out too. He says, I wouldn't sell any of the young guns, but some should be loaned out. On any mate, the Nazi, if a good offer comes in, should be considered seriously. Um, yeah, uh, you know, some, some great points made by all in the chat. If you've got any questions, get them in now. Um, and, uh, let's, uh, round off the show with a few of your questions for the last sort of, uh, five, seven minutes or so. Uh, big hello to everybody, uh, joining us in the live chat. And I want to say uh, a massive thank you to Connor Longworth and Paul Murphy who both signed up overnight to become members of the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel. Uh, really appreciate you guys' support. If you're interested in becoming a member and getting access, exclusive access to the content, like the one we put out yesterday, like the Martin Erdegaard special uh, with Jonas Yeva, that's the kind of thing you can expect as a member. If you enjoyed that um, and, and we've released it to all, uh, just kind of as a bit of a one-off to give you an idea of what the membership brings Go over there, check it out. If you like it, then click the link in the description and you can become a member of the channel. Been truly overwhelmed by how many of you um, have opted to support uh, the channel. Um, we're still very much in the growing stage of the membership scheme and I promise it will get better and bigger and, and all of that jazz. So thank you all uh, for your support so far. It's very, very much appreciated. Um, a couple of you have asked this question, so I'm going to address it uh, in the live chat. It, out and out Gunners podcast has put it in a couple of others have have asked it as well do I think that Arteta has frozen out Ainsley Maitland-Niles over his Ozil comments that time when he seemed to back Ozil up no I, I don't I, I've always said this about Ainsley Maitland-Niles I feel like even if his attitude is right he doesn't give off that vibe and I think that that's a problem I think a lot of people point to that problem when they talk about Nicolas Pepe as well. Sometimes looks disinterested, sometimes looks not completely 100% on board with whatever it is that's happening uh, at the time. Sometimes looks a little bit casual on the pitch. I get all of that. Um, you know, so I don't I don't think it's got anything to do with, with Ozil. I, I genuinely believe that it's more likely to have something to do with Maitland, Niles's way of carrying himself, which I, doesn't, I don't think looking on fills you with confidence that he's completely bought in. And sometimes as a manager, obviously you'll see that differently because you know the player. Um, you know, you, you'll see him on the training ground every day. You'll see his application. But as a fan looking in, I, I can see why maybe it doesn't feel like from Mikel's point of view that he's completely bought in um, 
to to what what Mikel's doing, and obviously that it, it is contributed to by the fact that he's not playing football, and, and the whole situation just doesn't seem right to me. Um, you know, I'd be happy for Maitland-Niles to be sold and for Arsenal to raise some cash from that sale. I wish we did it in the summer, though, when when that fifteen million pound bid was on the table, because I, particularly in the current climate, particularly with the fact he's not played a lot of football of late, I don't expect anybody to be coming in with a bit of that kind of amount. You know, I think his value would have dropped. His stock has has uh, has taken a bit of a nosedive because of the fact he's not playing football. Simple as that. Uh, let's see what else you guys have got in terms of your questions. Uh, Suti FM says he's impressed with the business Arteta has done clearing out Deadwood players. Yeah, that that was certainly the priority this time around. Uh, so delighted that um, that, that is uh, being done. Gunatel says, Harry, do you think there is a possibility we see Emil Smith-Rowe and Odegaard in the same lineup, or should we expect a straight rotation between the two in the number 10 positions? I think initially you'll probably see the straight rotation. I think the good thing about a new signing is that he can play from the flanks as well if needed to. And um, so he can provide cover there, but he can also in a game, maybe where you're struggling to unlock a side, maybe you need the, the, the creativity, the intelligence of both of them on the pitch. And I think you might see that as an option later on in games, depending on the game state. Um, I think you'll see us in situations trying to maybe sometimes break down a low block whereby Mikel will, will want to have both of them on the pitch at the same time. But I think in terms of starting, I don't expect them uh, to be in the same lineup too often. And that, But that's obviously, uh, you know, assuming that we don't get any more big injuries, that we don't lose anybody else key. Um, but yeah, in answer to your original question, I think there is a possibility you'll see them play together at times. But I don't think that will be a go-to starting option for Mikel, if I'm honest. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, big hello to Jamie and to everyone else in the chat. Uh, Football Capo onto the the topic of uh, following Balogun. He says, "I think Balogun will stay." I'm not sure on that. Um, I'm not sure on that. I feel like we should have really drawn this situation to its conclusion by now. It, it's annoying that it's still going on. You know, it's just going on and on and on and on. And, you know, the uncertainty that that creates and then people moan about him not getting game time. But then if you're Mikel, why would you invest in him by giving him game time when you don't even know if he's going to be at the club come the end of the season? It's, it's just a mess. The whole situation is a mess. You know, I see both sides of it. I see why Balogun is reluctant to sign. He wants guarantees about game time. I also see why Mikel doesn't want to play him if he's not put in a pen to paper, if he's not committed to the club, why should he get opportunities ahead of Eddie Nketiah, who is committed to the club? I get all of that. As I say, it's a it's a, a really shit situation that needs a resolution sooner rather than later. For the benefit of all parties at the end of the day, because we've got this player who is being touted as a really big young talent, just sitting around doing essentially nothing. Um, yeah, he's playing at uh, sort of under 23 level, but you know, at if he is that talented, obviously he should be playing at a higher level. So you've got him essentially sitting there kind of wasting away, um, you know, or if not wasting away is probably the wrong term, but not playing the football he needs so that he can push on, so that he can develop. Um, but equally, you've got to be ruthless as a football club as well. You know, for a kid like following Balogun to be making demands and expecting a club the size of Arsenal to bow to his demands. 
when he hasn't, re- you know, it's not like he's played 10, 12, 15 games for the first team, shown incredible potential, and, and now he's demanding. He hasn't done anything um, at first team level to, to suggest that he is that good, good enough to be making those demands. So I understand the club's stance on this. And if he leaves, I'll be disappointed because I do think he's a talented young lad. But given the situation, if he does go, I won't be one of the people sitting there battering the club for it uh, because it just is what it is. It's, it's far from ideal. And, and that's the situation we're in. Uh, Robin asks if I saw the comments that Twanzebe got on social media after the Manchester United game yesterday. Yeah, I've, I've seen glimpses of that. And um, horrible, horrible. Um, you know, every time you think that we're, we're making progress with, with this kind of stuff, something like this occurs. And, and I blame the social media platforms. I think they, they have a responsibility to, to prevent this shit from happening. And you know what? I've said it before. My solution would be sign up to Twitter. You need to put your real name in. You need to put your real details in, not for the public to see, you know, you can probably choose, um, you should be able to choose whether you display your real name or, or or your not real name. But ultimately, what I mean is that information should be held by those social media platforms so that in the event of this kind of thing, racial abuse or any type of abuse, any type of out of line behavior, you can be tracked down and you can be punished. You know, if you went and said that to someone on the street, you wouldn't get away with it. You know, if you said it to someone in public, you wouldn't get away with it. Yet you can hide behind a fake Twitter account or Facebook account or Instagram account and just spout off whatever shit you want. So for me, at the end of the day, there's a simple solution and it's just whether the social media companies uh, are going to move to do it. I think they should be forced. I think that governments should put pressure on them uh, to the point whereby you have to put in your real details, not to be seen by the whole world, but for the social media platform to be able to locate you and pass your details on to the police in the event uh, of something like this happening. And and that you, that information should have to be verified, um, you know, by maybe uploading some ID. I don't know. I'm not saying that um, that you should, again, I reiterate the point. I'm not saying that should all be on public display. Uh, you should have the option as to whether you want your real name shown or whatever. That's fine. But there has to be a trail. It has to lead back to you. People talk about IP addresses and finding people via IP addresses. So easy to put a fake VPN on, um, you know, nowadays and and hide your your kind of identity. So, um, yeah, action has to be taken because this this stuff is not acceptable. It's not acceptable at all. Uh, The Blind Gooner says, hi, Harry, I missed the start of your stream. What was your predicted 11 for Sunday? I'm going to be doing all of that tomorrow, mate. Uh, We'll be doing that tomorrow. We'll be bringing you a couple of shows looking ahead to that big, big Premier League encounter against Manchester United at the weekend. So stay tuned for that. Right, that brings me to the end of this live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna. Don't forget, smash the like button on your way out. Actually, do you know what? Let's quickly check in how many likes have we got so far subscribe if you haven't already subscribe if you're new um still looking at the uh looking at the numbers still around about 40 percent of you watch our videos and i'm not subscribed so uh make sure you do so uh let's see we've got 91 likes at the moment but there's 274 of you watching on youtube alone so what are you waiting for make sure uh, you smash that uh, like button. It doesn't cost a thing, but it really, really uh, helps the channel. And uh, we're going to be back very, very soon with more. Hit the like button on your way out and I'll uh, chat to you guys later. Ciao.
You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. <laughs> 